0: Dun dun dun! Now every time I hear clapping these days, I do. <laughs> um, okay, lots to lots to get into. We're just going to get right into it. Just off the top, so we know where we all stand. Ian, what did you think about uh, about Bohemian Rhapsody? Amazing. Andre, what did you think of uh, Bohemian
1: Rhapsody? Utterly fantastic.
0: <laughs> um, I think it's amazing. What do we think about what critics are saying about Bohemian Rhapsody?
1: Um, they're
2: wrong. They can Moving go <laughs>
0: they can go fuck themselves. Ian, what do you think?
2: Lick my taint.
0: Okay. So we're not gonna talk about uh the dumbass <laughs> critics. we just we got that out of the way. Um whatever they said, who gives a fuck? I think the box office is showing that um they're um fucking stupid. And I don't listen to critics anyway, but this is a very good reason why I don't. Yes. Okay. So we're not going to also drag through any Brian Singer bullshit. I don't care. Mm. Uh, I've stopped caring a long time ago. It doesn't matter. Brother got fired. Whatever the reasons were, Dexter Fletcher came in and finished it. Um, I won't try to even grouse about the fact for a year and a half before they shot one frame of this film, people thought it was going to be a bunch of things that it turned out not to be, and I knew that it wasn't going to be. So, vindication for me, really. But we don't need to rehash the past. Let's talk about what the film is and what it means to the three of us and what it seems to be meaning to other people. I mean, where do even get started? Uh, what do we think about Rami Malek in this role?
1: I mean, well, listen... Um... I know that I was expecting a great performance coming into this film only because I know how much of a genius Rami is and seeing all the interviews and the featurettes and stuff he's done already. um, I mean, there's no other way to say it other than like he is Freddie Mercury. And I was interested because like Rami has a very like distinctive face. So was it going to be like Rami with the wig with, and like with the fake teeth and after like maybe ten minutes of the film, all of that sort of disappears because you right. see that he's literally living the the person. Um, me coming into this film, I was interested because I'm not like the hugest Queen fan. Um, okay,
0: but let's move on to Ian. What do you think of Rami as Freddie?
2: Um, I thought he was amazing. Um, I mean, it just I'm a I'm a big fan of, of Rami anyway, and and you know just listening to all the preparation he's put into this role. I mean, I, I knew I wasn't going to be disappointed, so...
0: You didn't have any moments where, like, that's Rami playing Freddy at
2: all? Well, I mean, I I know it's Rami, sure. but it's... I mean, you're not
0: like a dog going, where did this human go when the towel no, dropped? No, I just yeah. think
2: he did... He he. What he did was he sort of embodied um, his rep- representation of Freddy... And it was completely believable.
0: I think for me, I knew he was going to own it. I think we all knew he was going to own it. We all know what Rami does. He's not Elliot Alderson, but he makes you believe on that show that he's got, you know, D.I.D., that he's a morphine addict, and he's an amazing hacker when in reality Rami doesn't know how to use his iPhone most of the time and (laughs) locks himself out of Twitter. That's why he has an assistant. Like he's fucking hopeless. He had to learn how to type to be on Mr. Robot. I mean, come on. Who can't type? But this dude plays one of the best hackers in the world, and brother can't type. Uh, I think he's gotten better, and he's also very aware of security issues. So, and here's, he's a very outgoing guy. He's probably more Freddy than he is Elliot, but no one's Freddy. And he knew that, and so he did all the things you do. We've heard about the famous I Got Teeth Made when I was doing Robot. He was also doing Papillon while he was doing Robot, while he was doing Freddy, flew himself out, got the teeth made. Jan Sewell um, is the makeup prosthetics, uh, prosthetics and uh, hair and makeup person on this. She is a veteran in this business, and it's Jan, and uh, taking. she made him a fake nose. Um, she put makeup on to do the eye spacing correctly. I know he rejected wearing brown Eye contacts because he had a lot going on with the teeth and the nose. He didn't want to be doing mm-hmm. Freddie drag. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. I think Queen fans also respect how much respect and love he has for Freddie. And then you have costumes by Julian Day recreating these iconic looks like the Zandra Rhodes, like angel top. Then you have the movement coach that's Polly Bennett teaching Rami how to slip into Freddie's skin, not choreographed because the man was just spontaneous as shit. So all of these things made Freddie. He he knew to call upon a village of craftsmen and women to create. Then there was piano lessons and there was just mm-hmm. understanding Liza Minnelli and opera and ballet and all the camp that he liked and then you know all the movement that he liked. So there's all that preparation that goes into it. And I knew all of that going in. I knew I knew huge chunks of this. And I thought, okay, that's still, how do you put that together? And as he slipped into older Freddie, I just forgot about Rami Malik. I totally was, like, looking at the guy I grew up with as a kid. So we, you were about to slide into Queen. How much did you know about Queen going into this, Andre? Like, what was your background with Queen?
1: Um, I mean, like, pretty much just anyone's knowledge sort of off the street like I knew the big hits, I knew Bohemian Rhapsody, We Will Rock You um, obviously We Are The Champions I had a pretty like surface level knowledge about this band um, I didn't know that Live Aid was a thing I didn't know that that happened It's funny, you asked um, me and I
0: was like and here's seven paragraphs later you're like, yeah. <laughs> please don't tell me how clouds are formed I'm like, okay son, one day there's the sky and you're like mm, don't ask Lisa about Live Aid
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah i didn't know about that i didn't know that they broke up for a period of time um I knew that that he was bisexual i didn't know that um but like going into this film i was i was i wasn't going into it um like completely ready to just like be completely excited about this film. I was skeptical in that is the film is the film gonna be able to make me care about the band about Freddie? Um, is it going to make me feel invested in the story that was his life? And the answer is co- an utter yes. It made me care so much that by the end of it, I was tearing up because what one of the th- big things that this film managed to do is recontextualize all the big hits into the into the facets of, of Freddie's life. So when he's when we get to the live aid finale at the end, and that's like a couple of scenes after Freddie has just told his bandmates that he has aids and then like he starts playing bohemian rhapsody and all these other songs all those lyrics have suddenly taken on new meanings and it's literally like heartbreaking if you really think about it and i think rami has like talked about it before like in preparation he like wrote down lyrics to see like what was going on in his mind and all of it had like the subtext of him being lonely yeah and i think that's another thing that this film really managed to nail down um I don't know if you want me to get into the whole. Well, I was going to ask Ian. So or, Ian,
0: coming into like yeah. to Queen to, to Bohemian Rhapsody. Now he lives with a Rami Malik super fan, and I introduced you to Queen. Did you know Queen before me? You knew about him, obviously. Yeah, I knew you about not, him. You
2: didn't um, rock. I, I was, you know, I was, you know, pretty much the same. I knew the hits, and but nothing really about the the life of, of the band.
0: But you knew about Live Aid because we used to hang out in the backyard and yeah, one of my favorite about, to play about, for you yeah, was, you
2: know. I knew Live about Live Aid, but, um, you know, still I wouldn't say that, you know, I understood culturally what it meant. So, I mean, I was very much like similar to what Andre was coming, you know, in sort of more of that side than understanding what was really going on. But I, I did I did know that, it was, that, that Queen was a... a um, a cultural icon, you know it, it, that that stretched generations. You know, apart from the big hits, so
0: yeah, that kind of changed the face of the game. They took a lot of elements, and th- there was no. There'll be, never be another Queen. There'll never be another Rush. There'll never be another, you know, Led Zeppelin. These bands that mm-hmm. that form like Pink Floyd, and yeah. they are what they are. And there's no being like that. I know there's a big. um Fluffle about this new band, uh, Greta Van Fleet. You know, sounding like Led Zeppelin, and everybody going like, ready to go to war." And I'm like, "I don't know. That's kind of cool, but that's that's a whole other band." Yeah, I knew a lot about going into Queen because of my age, because they were the band in my high school years. I discovered them at 15 years old. It blew my mind. I tortured um, the Southern Baptist kids around me who were like you couldn't dance. And you couldn't listen to rock and roll. So, when that, you know, News of the World album cover came out with the robot, you know, Frank the Robot holding the dead members of Queen, it made this chick that I knew cry because she was like, it's satanic. So, I, you know, then I played it really loud at one of her house parties and it made her scream. So, and I, and also for me, Freddie being bisexual was very huge because. He was one of the first people... It was rumored nobody talked about it. Um, there was straight-up homophobic fans around me who were like, that guy better not be a queer. Like, that's when, you know, before we took the word and owned it, I guy better not be a faggot. Oh, my God, you know, it was a great band until I found out, like, he likes dicks and all this kind of stuff that you would hear. But then there was a lot of us kind of nerd types who were like, he's what? He likes Bo? Hmm... <sighs> That's kind of... But we'll get into his bisexuality in a minute. I know there's a lot of people who are denying that he's bisexual. So back to your entree into Queen. You come into this and you're like, Oh, God. Okay. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Very interested in like how you were going to take their take on Queen.
1: Yeah. I mean, I also appreciated um, the elements that this film decided to focus on. Being like Freddie's personal life. His professional life as well. Yeah and like the creative side of him like the like that scene um near the beginning of the film where the band has like rented out the studio for the night and they're just taking all of these weird things and making weird noises it was great because i can relate to that because that's we're still doing that today like a lot of composers are doing what they're doing right and i have no doubt that they have some sort of influence on that um even when that part where where uh Freddie said bounce it back and forth and it like the sound shifts to the left and right that was that was just so cool i just i just really loved that um and i loved i just completely not to come back on this but like rami's performance is Freddie, and he keeps saying like the old queen that he is like i thought it was just co- so brilliant and there was this one part where they're like doing like the bbc um televised thing and the breather's like, yeah, the, these are fake instruments. You're going to lip sync. And then Freddie come, like, comes up like two inches from this guy's face. And he's like, you expect me to lip sync? And it immediately cuts away. And it's the way he said it, the, how close he got to the guy's face and how the film paid no attention to it at all just was completely hilarious. And I was the only one in the theater like, laughing. Who
0: got the joke that Rami Malik was saying, you wanted me to lip sync? Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it was so good.
0: Uh, because uh, here's the one thing that I know because I know this actor's voice, like I know uh my husband's voice. It's it's kinda sick. Like Rami like stalked Freddie. I digitally uh <laughs> stalk Rami. So I know his voice, and when I heard leaked clips of Rami singing as Freddie, I'm like, he's been very immodest when he says he's not doing a lot of singing in this movie. That's bullshit. Um yeah. the first three or four songs that are not um the more challenging Freddie mm-hmm. songs, they're not, you know, hitting all of his octave, but they're they're still Freddie sounding. He he's he sounds just like Freddie. Mm-hmm. It blew me away. I'm like, I looked at Ian in the theater every time they would sing and go, "That's
2: yeah." When he's at the you know the college night and he's meeting um
0: Roger and Brian, R-
2: Roger and Brian for the first time at the back while they're having the beers in the on the the tailgate. Yeah, and he goes off. Oh in yeah, that and he
0: sings right there. Yeah. Just without anything. That's him. Was that
2: was
1: that him singing when was that him singing Bohemian Rhapsody when they're at the farm and he's at the piano? Yes, you know that was him. Yes, that was him. And so oh and they gosh. might have
0: sweetened a little bit of some of this stuff with Mark Martel, but I think what they sweetened is the bigger performances, like the uh-huh. the performances. The, like, the but when he's yeah. messing around or he's like, even you can even hear. Um, part of him in Bohemian Rhapsody at Live Aid. There's a lot of Rami that is popping up, and I'm like, holy... That's, I guess, the big surprise after really following every single thing I heard Mm -hmm. about this film. That kind of blew me away at how he had mastered, and he doesn't want to piss Queen fans off, and I I understand he's a pretty modest guy. He didn't want to say, well, you can actually hear me, but if you pay attention... You can actually fucking hear him sing, and yeah. I'm never ceased to be amazed by this guy.
1: It was also a shocker for me that he was actually playing the piano. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I knew he had taken piano lessons, but like every like it was he was actually playing it. And I'm watching. I'm like, wow, like like they're actually doing it.
0: He got more than proficient. Um, yeah. I mean, he's playing the piano upside down and yeah. backwards, and I'm just like, he says now he plays. Um, meditatively like he plays at home he has a little setup at home and he plays to kind of it's part of his ritual now like Mm -hmm. just to calm down he'll sit and play the piano so that's awesome um let's talk about the bisexuality um there's a lot of i hear i see all the tumblr conversations i see y'all uh first of all let's just get this out of the way nobody is ever going to speak for freddie mercury um, Brian May and Roger Taylor, as much as they were producers on this film and they had a hard, uh, a huge part of this. And we'll also get to that in a minute too. Um, they will even tell you that they don't know the inside of, uh, Freddie's brain cavity. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what I know from Brian May's mouth. So listen up Children. Brian lived with Freddie in the very beginning when they couldn't – they had two nickels to rub together, and they had a flat together. And he said, you know, we started playing around, and Freddie's a good-looking, charming guy, Um, and we'd bring home girls. He brought home more than me. And then, you know, after a while, he started bringing home boys. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he would sort of casually say, oh, I guess you've noticed I've kind of been seeing – You know, some mates, some blokes. And he's like, I don't really care, Freddie. And Freddie kind of, he loved that Brian didn't give a shit. Brian just wanted him to show up for the gig. You know, they were more focused on, do I have to go get a real fucking job? You know, great, I get a job as an astrophysicist. But his dad is like, what are you going to do with that? You know, Mm -hmm. Roger didn't want to be a dentist. He really was fighting his dad on that. So everybody wanted the focus. So it was like, as much as they would pat each other on the back and blah, blah, blah. Then Mary comes along, he meets her, Brian introduces them. The movie plays with a lot of timelines to get over that, but Brian introduces them and him and Mary start, you know, this really intense kind of relationship, sexual relationship. And they, they are together for six years, but it's pretty that the road thing happens and he's out and he's not just out at truck stops eyeing guys. He's plowing through a lot of people. Mm-hmm. dude loved sex even after he breaks up with mary before he gets to jim you know around paul printer all those kind of things you can look at all the timeline there's a lady there's a lady named barbara paladin pavilion i don't know her her name but like he had this crazy torrid love affair with her uh he continued to sort of like choose people who matched his sex drive and because women like then and like now are slut-shamed because they like to have sex. Y- you know, you just didn't find that many women who would want to admit to that or maybe didn't speak of it. He never spoke about it. He never called himself one thing. He says to Mary, that is an actual quote. He says, I think I might be bisexual. She goes, no, Freddie, you're, you're gay. Well, Mary doesn't know either. Mm-hmm. Okay? And that's not Mary's business to tell Freddie who he is. And that's her exchange and we ne- never hear Freddie say what he is. He just says, I'm just me. And I'm sure there was a myriad reasons why he didn't like feel like he needed to label himself. First of all, sure. ain't nobody's business. But I'm pretty fucking sure just if you are into the lore and you know the stories and you've been listening to Brian and Roger talk, dude was bisexual. You know? For all intents and purposes... You know, he may have stayed with more dudes than ladies. But I think he considered himself one of those people who was just... Probably in this day and age, Freddie would identified maybe as pan. Yeah. I think he was probably more pan than anything. So, y'all can keep debating about it and wasting your time. But just stop it. Seriously. Does it matter?
1: Yeah. Yeah, well... It's interesting because we just live in a in a world that is consumed with labels. Mm. Um even with this the simultaneous mentality that you don't need labels, they're more there for you to understand who you are, which is fine. Um but I think for me I wasn't I wasn't very worried about how they were going to handle that part of his character in the film. I really wasn't worried about it at all. Um, cause I thought even in the very beginning, even before he meets Mary, he like makes eye contacts with some guys and he like winks at them, you know, stuff like that. And I thought that's all we were going to get, um, because I'm just sort of used to that at that point. Sure. Um, but when, yeah, when he like sits down with Mary and he says, I think I might be bisexual. It literally was like, like a wall hit me in the face because I'm just thinking about like this huge major hollywood film and the main character is saying the actual word right and even though it's followed by what many bisexual people will tell you is a common thing that they are told is Mm -hmm. that no you're just gay or no you're just straight right or you're afraid to call yourself gay whatever um i think that that was a big step i think that was a big moment and what what is great is that that portion of him of Freddie does not overshadow the entire film. Um, that's right and you're right even if he even if he does um, you know have more male partners in the future it doesn't make him any less bisexual. Um, but what I what I loved about it is the way the film decided to handle it in, in such a very careful way. Not really hesitant and not very safe either That's, there's the word that critics keep using, mm. um, but I guess they wanted him to go into the truck stop and
0: cornhole the guy. Uh, we needed to see Romney as Freddie thrusting the trucker from behind so we could get the point driven home. What did you guys
1: want <laughs> i I don't know, and look there the the thing I was. Um, talking about last night, Lisa, where someone was like, "Oh, you know, they sh- they made, should have made more effort to uh, to let the audience know that he was in fact bisexual and not just gay." Because after he says, "I'm bisexual," he's with male uh, partners for the rest of the film, even though he repeatedly tells Mary that he she is the love of his life. I mean, look if if you if if that's the implication you got, I, I don't think you were paying enough attention <laughs> right. to the film. Like, I'm I'm just like and. Despite all the debate around Freddie's sexuality, it's kind of like not up to interpretation because this was a real person, mm. and this was a real person's life. Yeah, and and I kind of had to put um, my blinders on for a second because the whole thing with like Paul and him like steering Freddie away from the band and like screening all of his calls, like it was so it, it was so interesting to me because instinctually. I went, oh, of course it's the gay guy that's doing all this and this is bad representation blah, blah 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 blah. I'm like, I'm thinking, wait, hold on, but this actually happened.
0: Yeah, Paul actually did that.
1: This yeah. this actually happened. He was They're a Svengali like experience.
0: Yes, and he 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 derailed Freddie. And he yeah. fed into Freddie's like diva like ego, like, I don't need these guys. Um mm-hmm. before we move on to I loved Alan Leach. Um, Those of us who loved him from Downton Abbey, like, oh, he's so mean and bitchy and terrible. I loved him. He was so great. And that crew is so tight now. Alan's part of that crew. What I loved about the PG-13 rating and what I appreciated um, them not showing this gritty, just, you know, bisexual or whatever, porn gazing at Freddy's life, prying into his life, is that families could go and have a conversation, that yes. maybe there are young people in that audience who can identify now with this icon and have this conversation and see. And again, I, there's this criticism. I don't know where y'all getting this from. That it vilifies his sexuality. That oh, because he's bisexual or because he's gay, he gets AIDS. Oh my God, this is just gay shaming, y'all. That is nice. not the message I'm getting. What the? Yes, the other guys cisgendered straight dudes I mean allegedly I don't know what happened with John Deacon anyway um, not throw, I don't know what happened between any of these dudes I'm just saying I don't think the message was like we're married you're partying go fuck off because Freddie Freddie bitchily says to Roger oh this one what's her name like he knows that Roger is you know he's also pretty promiscuous I think what they were saying is like there's partying yo and then there's there's this excess. Mm -hmm. No one can keep doing Benny's and staying up all night and drinking all the stuff and just screwing till the cows come home. And then you're trying to come in here with your voice. I don't, I never made the correlation that Freddie's lifestyles, you know, but being gay and doing this stuff, this is how it ends up as you end up with AIDS. I think you guys need to crack some books, uh, open up your minds about how that works. All my friends who got HIV, um, you know, we're not gonna. I can, I can do a whole fifteen podcasts on on that whole aspect of it. I don't think for a second this film was saying that. Um, and in fact, they crossed the street to say, "I don't want to be a poster boy for this disease."
1: Oh yeah, yeah. You know, All- I, that was another. That was another big moment for me. Yeah, and it also like broke the fourth wall just a little bit. yeah. Um, but yeah, when he was like, I'm, I don't want to be a cautionary tale. I don't want to be the poster boy for this virus. Which and he actually
0: did say to those guys.
1: So. Yeah, yeah. And then immediately have it go end in the, in the Live Aid concert. That was another thing. I was like, I don't know. I Because I didn't know Live Aid was a thing, I had no idea how they were going to end the film. Yeah, and I was like, please don't end the film with Freddie on the bed dying of AIDS. Well, that's what and everybody wanted. That it.
0: That's what everybody yeah. wanted. Everybody, Sasha Baron Cohen and all those guys wanted Freddy to be wandering around his uh, mansion and parties with little people with cocaine on his head. That did happen with naked people, people writhing and just covered in, like, fluids and just fucking till the cows came home. And then in the end, you know, I guess he's going to be coughing blood as he comes off the stage of Live Aid, you know, coughing out to Lady O'Gaga and dying in the parking lot and being drugged by his gay lover into the bed and just dying there. What the fuck and here's the thing. Brian May and Roger Taylor decided to say yes to Graham King and Dennis O'Sullivan because they said, someone's eventually going to make this film. And they knew that there's these attempts around it. And they actually sat down good naturedly and, and entered into conversations with Sasha. And then Sasha started like talking about how they wanted to disrespect their brother. And their, they did not, Freddie did not go out of this world at odds with these guys. Mm-hmm. They settled their hash. They. Rediscovered each other. They After Live Aid, they came back together. And they wanted years with Freddie, And they were devastated by this. So, why the fuck would well, they want to make a movie that dug into his privacy past a certain point? And then showed all of this stuff. They, the The movie decided to fuck with the timeline because you had to get had to do this in two hours. And then, they they gave you one raucous party that kind of summed up a flavor of how Fred would throw parties, you know, um, without it being so salacious and and so crazy and so whatever. Because again, you wanted this film to be accessible to everybody. One of the things that Queen wants to do is share Fred with everyone,
2: yeah. not
0: just queen fans who already exist not just gay people and they wanted to open up to bisexual people and everybody and every of all ages not for a cash grab queen doesn't need the money Mm. they can live off of bohemian rhapsody alone for the rest of their lives so they're not making this to make coin you know it's money is nice but they give shit tons of money away to the Freddie Mercury Phoenix Trust and do all kinds of works for animal cruelty. We know about Brian and his hedgehogs and all this kind of stuff. So it's not like that they wanted to do this to, you know, stroke their egos. Yeah. So why would they want to make a movie that's disrespectful of their their brother? Why would they want to do that?
2: Yeah. And they didn't.
0: And, Deacon, and they didn't do it. And they knew. They had they had a, a thing that if John Deacon didn't feel good about them going forward with the script that they had and the approach that they had, they weren't going to do it. At one point, they were telling Graham, look, Deakey and Mary have to have to give us a thumbs up because we want it with the full blessing of the people who were there. This is an interview from... A year ago, that's been lost in this shitstorm of you know Brian Fuller going on Twitter and going, "Isn't it funny that they're headwashing this movie?" Blah. Dude, you need to apologize to that production because you just started bullshit, and I'm so surprised at you as a gay man for doing that. Anyway, so mm-hmm. these guys, they they wanted it to be this way. So when people go, "Freddie didn't do this and Freddie didn't do that," motherfucker, Brian May and Roger Taylor. Knew this dude and they were there, and it mm-hmm. serves no purpose for them to lie about who Freddie was. It also serves them no purpose to betray the trust of a man that they loved. You don't need to know everything about Freddie, it you don't have you don't get the right to know everything about Freddie. Only Mary knows where his ashes are spread. I think by now probably Kashmira had told her parents. I think she told Cashmere at some point. Had to have. I don't know. I'm just conjecturing here. But he so trusted Mary for a reason. He, he left what he left to Jim Hutton for a reason. We will never know the answers to these questions. And this film is not there to dig into his personal life and treat him that away. way. Why would Brian yeah. May and Roger Taylor want to make that? Go watch something else. Go watch. Hey, look, Sasha, go raise your money and make your your hedonistic Freddie dying, you know, in his own blood, in his own set. Go make that. Go make that and see how many people want to see it, especially after they saw this. Go see how many people want to see that bullshit, dude. Yeah. You know, but this I thought was respectful. And I'm a queen fan. I know all these timelines. I know didn't go, hey, I have AIDS. Let's go play live aid. It didn't, these timelines are off, man. They're, I don't care. Um, yeah. I was there to see what Romney did. I was delighted to see Gwillem. I loved Gwillem Lee as Brian May. Did we not just love him?
2: All of them. Mm-hmm. All, of, all all of four. them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go to the list. i going go to the and, list. Yeah.
0: Gwillem, I've fallen in love with him. I want to see everything he's been in. And just watching him in interviews, he's just a f- goofbag. I love him. Joe Mazzalo, obviously. Uh, him and Rami were in the Pacific together. It's so trippy to see Sledge and Snafu. Uh, a lot of memes have come up about that. They both find them very funny. And then Ben Hardy didn't know where the didn't even know from Ben Hardy. And then his cuteness comes in, and he is the sassiest, cheekiest, tantrum throwing Roger Taylor. He did him justice. So can I
1: can I ask? Do you know if. Um, like Willem Lee, Ben Hardy, Joseph Mazzola. Do you know if they were actually playing their the instruments? Yes, they were.
0: Um, Joe Lydon said he could play bass. Rami actually got him the part. Um, when they were casting this, and he got a little bit of a toe in the door, and he goes, "Oh, I'm in." Okay, I know a guy. He looks just like John Deacon. And then he called him, and he goes, "Hey, man, um, you play the bass, right?" And he's like. No, he goes, You play the bass, though, right? He goes, Yeah, <laughs> I play the bass. <laughs> ben Hardy did the same thing. He's like, Yeah, I play the drums, bro. And they both just like l- immediately just ran somewhere. And um, I think Gwill, being the proper Englishman that he is, goes, I have no idea. I play some acoustic guitar, but I don't really. I mean, I, don't <laughs> play, I can play acoustic. You know, so they all had to learn. And they played along because they had to learn live um, verbatim they learned those songs and play those songs you can hear a mix down of them playing queen
1: that's great and
0: Gwillem had one-on-one lessons with um brian they sat across from each other and he showed him some flourishes and showed him how to play and then roger took ben to kind of mini drum school but he said look it takes years to learn how to play the drums To which Brian said, really? You know, snapping (laughs) on the drummer. But he goes, like, I taught him some things that I would do, like the things with the sticks and the way I would come down and the way I would Mm -hmm. play. And I taught him some little tricks like that. He said, you know, he had to play them well enough. So at one point, they would be, you know, jamming together. And Rami would just come out and they would start playing something together. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping all the shit's in the extended cut. You
1: know, yeah. I just I just really well, I, I really appreciated that they focused that much on the um, the music, obviously had to be a big part of this film. Well, you could but tell also, we
0: could all tell when they fake, right? Nobody yeah. wanted anybody yeah. faking Queen, right? Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, and I also just love that the film decided to focus on the relationship of the band um, that. Not everything exactly came from Freddie, but it was all sort of like a mixture of um, these couple of guys. And I don't know. I just I just really. It felt like a full band.
0: It didn't feel like just Freddie's story. Yeah, And they weren't just like and again, early critics came out and I'm like, get the fuck out of here. They were like, well, mostly the other performances are in reaction shots. And I'm like, eat a dick. No, I didn't feel that at all. I feel like these guys were present. Yes, there was a little bit more focus on Freddie. Sure. Um, Reading the poster could have told you that. But we weren't just left with like three guys who were lookalikes, faking their instruments, phoning in performances and going, yes, Fred, you need to slow down. How many more Galileans do you want? You know, like they don't – they were funny. They slipped into the skins of these men. And, you know, John – after Freddie died, he popped up for a couple of performances with Queen, but he was done. He had lost mm-hmm. his mate. He had lost his big brother. Um, that performance had to be, you know, pulled from Brian May and John's son. You know, Joe had to, you know, interpret that guy. And for a guy, Dicky doesn't say much in general. Uh, now he says nothing. But, like, he was, like, the friendly kind of the youngest guy in the band, he still plays him with so much heart that Joe doesn't need to chew the scenery for us to know he was in this film. Same with mm-hmm. Gwill. I mean, Roger has what five one-liners and he almost steals the movie at times. Um, yeah. and you can see that these guys bonded. We all know they did live aid first. That's the first thing they shot. Uh, I remember that day when all those pictures got leaked. um, and people were like, "Is this rehearsal?" Like that was actually them shooting Live Aid, and someone leaked it. Some pap uh, so from were they, the sun leaked it. Yeah, were
1: they actually at the Wembley Stadium? Well,
0: Wembley itself is torn down. Uh, it's been oh, long okay. torn down, so they had to recreate the Live Aid uh, concert in a field
1: uh, okay. somewhere. So they, went, I assume they they digitally added the entire crowd later.
0: They got two thousand people. So. The story goes that they did one song. There's six songs in that 20 minute set, I think, something like that, five or six. So, mm. first day, first song, second day, second song, third day, third song, fourth, you know. And so, you, out, you have Rami out there with Polly Bennett, and then the other guys had movement coaches. Rami said, You need to get movement coaches. And so, they came in and worked with their guys, and they just nailed every song. So, that's a 12 hour day of like Hammer to Fall and, you know, blah, 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 Bohemian Rhapsody. And they were like, We put so much time. They rehearsed it for a month. So so we put so much time into doing these songs. And Rami went and just begged Graham King. And like, can we just do it all? We want to do it all together. Can we just do the whole set? And Graham put his own money up for this. And they hired 2,000 some odd actual Queen fans to come and be background background extras to interact with the band. And they played the entire set several times over, and they got the, the wire cameras, and they did all this stuff to recreate this moment, and that so paid off. I mean, that part of the film, if you're brand new to it, chills. If you were like me in nineteen, what was that, eighty four, eighty five, I bought, I saved up, and bought a TV that was bigger than a thirteen inch. I don't know. It was slightly larger than that. I got a color TV. It was a fortune. I had to pay that thing off for almost a year and a half. I lied uh, at work because I had two jobs, and so I got out of one of them and then just didn't show up for the other one. I got sort of in trouble, but they needed me. And I that concert went on all day long. It was all over MTV, you know, the mm-hmm. greatest artist of the time. I was a huge U2 fan. I was showing up to watch U2. Um, and we all couldn't stop talking about Queen. We went out to a bar that night and we just talked about Queen and we knew every single move, uh, at the end of the week, we all just the way Freddie moved and the fact that they rehearsed for it and everybody else just looked like a deer in the headlights before and after that concert. I don't remember any of the other performances that day. I'm sure they were amazing. But they they said uh, backstage, you know, there was a lot of press going on, a lot of drinking, a lot of hoo-ha. It was like a little crazy. And we're doing this for the Ethiopian famine. And it was just deadly silent backstage. And I don't know who it was. One of the musicians who's coming up goes, well, we're fucked. Because... <laughs> They were just doing this kind of borrowed time. Bob Geldof was really off about Africa. He had Bono wound up about it. In Queen, they cared. They did boneheaded shit before, though. Like Freddie's diva attitude got him cut out of a couple of the Bob Geldof performances before. He was heartbroken about. They also played in apartheid-ridden South Africa, which was just a tone-deaf move. Um, So they had made some like really dumb mistakes. And this was Freddie going, we have to get back into good graces with the fans. We have to reestablish ourselves. So yeah, there was a part of this. It was like for Ethiopia, sure, but make no mistakes. This was was Queen's way of trying to to reestablish itself back into the spotlight. And it was a redefining moment for Queen, for Rock. No performance has ever really mirrored it going forward there's been great performances i'm not saying it's the best ever 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 but it's in the top fucking five that people talk about who are in mm. bands you know so yeah if you weren't there it's still pretty fucking cool though right
1: yeah yeah for sure like i i had chills the entire time i like teared up almost like twice like it was insane it was absolutely insane
0: what about you Ian? how are you feeling about then I was leaning forward. I didn't see No, I,
2: I was just soaking the whole thing in. It was, it, was, it was a very highly anticipated movie. And I just, I really enjoyed it. You know, I want to watch it again. Yeah, definitely do. I
0: want to own it. You know, and then again, it isn't lost on a lot of fans uh, and, and new fans and people who are just now coming onto the scene and going, I like this Rami Malik guy. I wonder what else he's done. And they wander over to the Pacific thinking, oh, he's Ramy Malik is in this cute little film. <clears throat> yeah, you're going to be really shocked when you go to that film thinking this is uh you need to brace yourself because that's <laughs> it's a whole different for the fucking Oprah. But like just I don't think you needed to come to this. You can come to it from so many different angles. And what they did with it. It's not safe. I don't think it's corny. I don't think it's any of the things that these stupid fucking overpaid critics think. You can see the reaction. People are madly in love with this film, these performances, how it's making them feel when they walk out of there, you
1: know? Yeah. I just think at the end of the day, this whole film was really like a valentine to Freddie and Queen. Like, that's it was just so incredibly well-balanced and it knew exactly what message it wanted, it wanted to convey. So, I right. Mean, you can't ask any more than that from a film.
0: And I just, you know, I'm, I'm, it's feel. I feel like sometimes I feel like I'm uh, Rami's like cousin or something. I'm like, when people like come for him, I'm like, I'm going to come to the house and upside the yeah. head. I'm sure his own mother, uh, We'll cut a fool talking about her her baby. But uh, I know that they're just bursting with pride over, you know, this wasn't certain for this kid from the Valley to be able to do this in his family. He was expected to be a lawyer or a doctor. And for him to say to his parents, you know, I want to be an actor. And then to be here, you know, you don't plan this. It just kind of happens. But mm-hmm. one thing that I do love about Rami is that he threw, he threw himself in there. And I, you know what? I know a lot of people make jokes about... Uh, about people who throw themselves into this role, I know this about Rami, and 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 this is what I love about him. He's not a method guy, although he did sort of wear the Freddie um, embodiment during the shooting days, and would answer back to Thomas Siegel, uh, the DP uh, cinema, cinematographer, would answer back in Freddie. But what Siegel said about him is, I love this guy. He was Fred. But he didn't disappear up his own ass. I could go over to him and ask him a question. We could have a yeah. technical conversation. And he wasn't like, don't speak to me right now. I'm Freddie, You know, he like was like, right, sure. The camera would go over here because he could just keep it on. It was easier to kind of keep it there a little bit because he had to do a lot to be this guy. Yeah. But he said, I could still talk to the dude. I could still walk over to him. And we related, and and Rami said if we had lost, you know, Thomas Siegel, Siegel, we would have been fucked, because mm-hmm. this guy knew it was what. And Thomas would actually, Tom would actually step in and direct some days, when you know certain people didn't show up for work, uh, especially after Rami had be in the makeup chair at like six o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. uh, and and you had a no show, so Siegel would step in, and him and Rami would work out shots, and. So they say a certain person directed a certain chunk of this movie. I highly doubt that he directed the chunk that they said he did. I think that was Siegel, and a lot of it was uh, Rami. And then um, I know for a fact that they didn't just shoot just those two weeks. I know they did some reshoots. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if you follow people on Instagram, like Joe, and he's telling you he has to go back to London after those two weeks wrap... You know, I think they probably put a couple extra two months on the back end of this and reshot some things that maybe didn't feel so good uh, initially. So, yeah. What I'm hoping for, what I swear to God, I'm surely going to do it. On the extended cut, I think we're going to get the entire live a performance that uh, King put money up for. Please, let's see that. Uh, There's a scene where um, we see Freddie, I think... I don't know what the song is right now. Maybe it is Love of My Life, where he writes it in the bathtub. Um, They shot that. There's several scenes that they shot that didn't make our two-hour window here. Mm -hmm. Um, Going back to the loves, I think the only thing for me that I I wanted to spend more time with Jim Hutton... I know he's controversial yeah. among. If you're a Queen fan, there's a big rift in that fandom over many things, but one of them is that Jim uh, wasn't this angel that um, he made himself to be in his book, you know, Mercury and Me. That the reason that uh, Freddie left him, what he did, it was either like five hundred pounds, five hundred thousand pounds, which is not, come on, or a house. That's what he was offered. So. And he he always famously took shots at Mary in the press about how he was shut out. Um and they both were there till the end of his life. So I don't know whether Jim was sort of reduced to that smaller screen time because Brian and Mary and those guys know something, or it was just it just mm-hmm. had to be sacrificed because of something else in the film. But I felt like I wanted to spend a little bit more time with Aaron McCusker's uh, Jim Hutton. Because he was a, he came along there at the at the end and, um I don't know, some people call him a gold digger, some people call him, you know, the saving grace, you know, Freddie's husband. I don't know. We'll never know. That's not the point of the film, right? It's to tell us all the nitty gritty and inside and out.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Musically, you were digging it
1: you were feeling it yeah um I'm looking at the IMDB and I can't find the composer it was there one like it it's I can't find anything in the music department section.
0: I would probably say that that was left to uh, there was a there was a guy who definitely you know their post-production sound guy but i think a lot of the music stuff was left to brian and roger
1: yeah that's interesting because yeah there's no there's no one credited as the composer and there i mean outside of the the queen music there wasn't really a lot the only thing that really stuck out to me was there are like a handful of moments in the film where you sort of get a, a glimpse into freddie's mind mm. and in that scene um when they're at the farm and Freddie's out smoking, and you sort of hear like the remnants of Bohemian Rhapsody, um, just like a couple of notes here and there, and and I think we're meant to assume that he's he's sort of hearing it in his mind because the very next scene is him at the piano and he's playing it, and then when he's done, he's like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, and then it immediately cuts to him. I, I I think that was just absolutely stunning, and I also liked how what he was hearing wasn't exactly note for note it was just like a hint of it and that he he took that idea and made it into what it was yeah um i mean that that really stuck out to me when when that happened
0: there was a a lot of little clever ways into the music that i i really enjoyed it was funnier than
1: i'd expected too Oh, I thought it was this whole movie. I thought it was hilarious. It was
0: really. It didn't. It wasn't just the sad, you know. Freddie, you have AIDS. Let's talk about it for two hours. Um, yeah. And they let, they showed Freddie being a fucking bitch. You know, he was a bitchy, bitchy queen. You know, sure. Uh, yeah. You know, it but happens.
1: That, that th- those whole scenes with uh, Mike Myers as uh, what's his name Ray
2: Foster. Ray Foster. That
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. Th- those whole scenes. Absolutely hilarious. I
0: appreciated him as, uh, talking about a method actor. He is a method actor. So they had a whole day of Ray Foster. He just stayed in character all day long. <laughs> and I love Mike, but I don't know that, really? That guy doesn't even exist. I mean, you could just pop into that. It's basically like a really grumpy, alcoholic Austin Powers, you know? Isn't yeah. it? Basically. <laughs> yeah. Um. But I think it's because, and this again, I don't know if it's being lost on a lot of people. A lot of us totally got it. That Ray Foster's performance served something other than a shout out to Mike Myers, who reintroduced, you know, Queen to a whole new generation with Wayne's World when they did Bohemian Rhapsody, the head bump in the car scene, Mm -hmm. uh, which Rami says that he thinks that Freddie got to see that before he passed. And he thought it was hilarious. Um, That's good to know. But other than that, it, it was what how critics received Bohemian Rhapsody. I remember when this song came out and a lot of people were just divided right down the middle pretentious bullshit. The song goes on forever. And I worked in radio when it came out. And I I loved long records because you could, you know, you could take a dump, you could get a, something to eat, you could go have a couple of cigarettes. Well, what I'm saying, we smoked in the, in the uh, control room. But I loved, like, long records. But every time I would put it on, I would listen to the entire fucking thing. I didn't want to miss a, a moment of Bohemian Rhapsody. So the film is also going, yeah, and this is how you're going to treat this movie as well. This is exactly that montage where they're like, they're the four in in dark and silhouette and all pretentious and all of the reviews just flying at you. I'm like, they should, Somebody's probably done it already. Somebody just needs to take that same scene, clean plated and just take all the bullshit reviews that I've been seeing and put that.
1: It was such a weird correlation. Like, yeah, yeah, I I noticed that it was so funny. Um, and I mean, I completely believe it that when it first came out, it was immediately divisive, as great pieces of art tend to always be, and especially art that is completely like groundbreaking. Um, I don't know, man. Like, and even when, when he was like, no one's gonna, you know, like the radio won't take like a six minute, seven minute song, what have you? Six um, bloody
0: minutes. <laughs> um. Yeah, and I pity your wife if you think six minutes is. It's too long. Uh, One of the moments that I loved in that scene is when he goes, you know, Scaramouche, Scaramouche, Bismillah. And you look over the cover of Freddy's face because that is a Parsi word. Yeah. Yeah. Bismillah, Bismillah. You know, they... And he was just like, oh, this motherfucker right here (laughs) just insulted my mama and them. Oh. And I think that's when he decides you know, I'm going to make sure that this song is played everywhere. And that's why he goes, famously, the story happened. He goes to, I forget the DJ's name, a, a queer DJ. And he goes, oh, you really shouldn't play this song. Oh, I really shouldn't. It's six minutes. It's really too long to be played on the air. Oh, I shouldn't, should I? Oh, I don't think you should. Oh, my God, really, <laughs> I'd hate being told what to do. And that's what they did. They they forced this song um, on the public, and the public just went, what the fuck is this crack I want this crack (laughs) which how many times have we seen this in hip hop how many times have we seen this in rock how many times have we seen this in the 50s and the 60s where these artists would just have to like get around the fucking Ray Fosters of the world and put this music directly out there and I feel like that's what happened with this film. Like all these critics came out with their. I just, the first day, I got these old, crusty, mostly straight, white motherfuckers going, it won't play to a larger room. Rami Malik is extraordinary, but the film is not. And then my favorite, I love this. These are the same fucking so called alleged journalists who sit there in every fucking interview. What's your favorite queen song? This is an actual question you're going to ask the cast. <laughs> of Bohemian Rhapsody. You have 15 minutes, 10 minutes, 8 minutes with the cast. You've just seen this amazing film and this is how you just drug your lazy ass out of your house up in here and say, what's your favorite Queen song? I can think about 20 different... So I loved the fact that these same idiots start using Queen lyrics to review the film. Bohemian mm. Rhapsody will not rock you. I'm like... Where does this motherfucker live? <laughs> Where? Because what y'all need to do, if you're listening out there, critics that I don't respect whatsoever, I just don't don't respect you. You know, it's not a real job what you do. It's not a real job. Um, Go into Tumblr, hashtag Rami Malik, and the way they do it on Tumblr, old people, is to do Rami Space Malik. We don't shove it all together like on Twitter. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you go in there and you look at all the citizen reviews, and I got to tell you, I've seen about 800 million better reviews than any of the ones I've read in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Huffington Post, Deadspin, Collider, Slate, all y'all motherfuckers. I stopped following some of y'all, and I think you know it now because some of you are backtracking and going, oh, but audiences are, you know, um," and then you kiss these people's ass. Mm-hmm. And you go up to them at these press things and you're like, and Rami, his Marissa and Melissa, I think it's Marissa. Or is it Melissa? I said, are they twins? The Kuzaks? I don't know. Anyway, either Marissa or one of them is like, you know, going, you know what they're saying about you. And you just see him at this dead spin event, like what, two days ago, just looking at people like, hmm. <laughs> so somebody already told me the reviews and I just sat down with you and gave you my time. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So I feel like, you know, and again, I don't give a shit about the Oscars. We don't give a shit about the Oscars. But I just want him to get that Oscar so he can prop his door open and ask one of these motherfuckers out of his house. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm
1: -hmm. You can go now.
0: Because we all, like, rallied around this film. We got to go Thursday night, early showing, and I was just, I posted on our Instagram, don't listen to critics, go see Bohemian Rhapsody.
1: And that's what that's what all of those posters are saying as well. Like, I did the same thing. I, I looked through the tag on Tumblr, just Bohemian Rhapsody, and literally everyone is saying, don't listen to the critics, go see this movie. Yeah. Don't listen to the critics, go see this movie. And putting and in
0: some insight about what touched them. And this one yeah. story I loved on Tumblr was um, this girl took her... She's bisexual. She took her younger brother who's um, 13... And she was like, so what did you think about him looking at those guys and then him being with that girl? And he was like, what do you mean? Why? What? Why do you keep asking me about that? Whatever. It's not weird to me. He just liked girls and then are like boys. Ah. And he just wanted to talk about like, how do they do that? And is he singing? And is he playing? And yeah. oh my God. And he's, you know, and these were people of color who were like, that guy's Egyptian? what that kind of thing
1: yeah yeah and i'm not i'm not gonna sit here and say it's um the this movie is the the bisexual anthem of the year i'm not really gonna say that because it's it's not the main the the point of the story um as freddie would have wanted it to would have wanted the music to be and i think you not like the whole that again the whole conversation about when he telling he's telling them that he has AIDS. He wanted to be about the music and the band. He doesn't want it to be about him, right. And his whatever. Um, I'll get my bitchy voice together and we'll do this. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, I can't say enough good things. But if you about want to go break your dog, heart,
0: like go and look at his last video where his wearing clothes was so painful to him; if he could barely move. You know. And the, the boys came out, and he insisted he wanted to do a video, and he's in his cat vest, his fam- famous cat vest. And um, you can see the emaciation. You can see, and again, I can't watch that stuff because I lost so my. He looks like so many of my friends who just looks like they're wearing their skeletons around. Um, I went to eight different funerals uh, back in the, the 80s. I don't know why I'd want to go pay uh, 12 $14 to, to watch that for entertainment. Uh, mm-hmm. On my night off, why the fuck would I want to go be reminded of how it decimated an entire community? It's still a pandemic. I mean, was that what we want? Is, how, is that how Fred wanted to be remembered? I th- probably think not. Um, I do want to go back to one performance that I've overlooked. Lucy Boynton, who is getting it from both sides. You know, she's the wife. He called her his common-law wife. He gave her the ring, kind of did her a little dirty. Uh, I love how they got that across, how he kind of treated her. She was the love of his life, and he did write that song. And if you listen to it, apparently she was like, at that time, like, go fuck yourself. Yeah. You know, I'm, and she worked for him, and she came from humble beginnings, even though she was an epic shag <laughs> initially. But then he was like, you know, he was treating her like his fag hag, and she was just like, nah. So he wrote this song to try to, like, charm her back, you know? It's like, take it back, take it back, you know? And people are like, he didn't write that song about Mary. He wrote that song about this guy over here. Okay. Brian May and Roger Taylor are the producers of this movie. Don't you think they would know that? (laughs) Don't you think that the actual dudes in Queen would know if that song was about Mary Austin? Don't you think that the fact that they do have access to her, I mean, she's not running around. Mary is very private, like John Deacon. Don't you think that they would, like, get that fact checked with the real living person? It's about Mary Austin, okay? And later, maybe later it became about other people, but it's like, I love how Lucy played a woman that's very private. She didn't have access to Mary whatsoever. She wanted to respect her. She created a fictionalized version of Mary, Two, as she said, we wanted to protect who Mary was and is. Um, I loved Lucy in this in this part she doesn't mm-hmm. She doesn't get reduced to furniture um and we do see how important she is. She did actually uh, help Fred understand his own femininity. She was the way in to go, "You can wear women's clothes." Yeah. want to try on this. Wanted to try on this side. She helped him decorate his house, you know, to be, to show more of his feminine side. You know, she, she recommended the silks and the kimonos and she was like, you can't, there's nothing that says that you can't wear these little, you know, you got a tight ass and you got a little tiny waist. You can wear these ladies slacks for fuck's sake. So yeah. let's give Lucy Boynton and Mary Austin their due in this film because I think, I think Lucy is amazing in this. Surely is. What were other surprising things? I'm trying to think of like him singing surprised me because I knew kind of almost everything was going to happen. Trying to think of what else surprised me. Anything for you, Ian? Like, did you have any expectations? Like, you knew Rami was going to do some stuff, but did you go in and go, what the?
2: No, I didn't have really any expectations. I mean, I knew all the stuff that you had looked up. So I was just going there to see the movie. And, um, you know, because I'm not. You know, I don't spend a lot of my time looking up stuff, you know, about Rami or any of that stuff. So I just enjoyed the movie. I thought it was very well done. I thought it was well shot. The actors were amazing. And everyone seemed to gel and they they captured the magic for me. Yeah. So.
0: What about you, Andre? Anything else? That- um you noticed or that you were
1: like hmm i mean i mean again it shocked me how wickedly funny this entire film was um i thought it was very poignant that the scene where uh freddie is telling mary that he might be bisexual and for all intents and purposes is the breakup and like the love of my life performance is playing on the tv in the background just to underscore that scene was really nice they were doing some sort of visual motif with the reflection in his sunglasses mm. and it was if i remember correctly it was um at the very beginning and end of the film where he's in the car on his way to live aid yeah and when he gets like the diagnosis um not entirely sure what it, i know it's supposed to mean something but I, I might have to see it again in order to parse it out um but even in that in that same scene where he's leaving and there's that kid uh sitting there he's like Ayo. You know that's just like wow, like
0: yeah, that got me too. I didn't yeah. expect that came out of nowhere, and of course, you know, Fred has to wear a weird disguise. Yeah, you had to go into a place, you know, and if it was known, then you were outed. Mm-hmm. Also, this is a time when they were just vilifying people. This is bef- this is the first incarnation of the Phelps, you know, church where God hates fags kind of came from where. It was a gay disease and you had Falwell and all those motherfuckers, you know, on TV, um, vilifying people. I think Fred wanted to protect Queen. He didn't want them to go down with him. Mm -hmm. He announced that he had AIDS. His people did. He obviously didn't have the strength to, but his team announced that he had AIDS the night before he died, you know. Um, And he had talked to Queen about how they were going to carry on. And it was his wish for the music to carry on and why he gave Mary half of the estate. How was she going to make money? You Mm -hmm. know, she came from humble beginnings. He wanted her to have, she has a, um, a piece of that catalog, you know? Uh, so she got half of his music rights. The other half went to his family. So cash and your, and, um, and uh, Bommy, his dad, they all got taken care of for life and beyond. You know, Cash and her children and on and on and Mary's children. And, um, you know, he, he was a guy who was so generous. He would chase love. He would give people like a car or a watch. And he said, darling, as soon as they would get the watch, they would leave me, you know. Mm. They would use him and... As AIDS ravaged his body, I mean, Mary tells this devastating story where, you know, it's there at the end. He was bedridden for a lot of the time, and she'd go and sit with him, you know, and, and shifts. Jim would be with him, and then she would be with him. And they were watching old uh, video, and he looked at her, and he goes, oh. And she said in this kind of wrecked voice, he said, you know, I used to be so handsome. And she just jumped up out of her chair like, I need to go get something in the other room because they weren't allowed to be sad around Fred. He just, he put a moratorium on it. Don't you come in here and crying all over me. And he would say these things that she just, I went in the other room and lost it. Mm-hmm. That tells you everything you need to know about how they were going to approach Bohemian Rhapsody. That Fred would have hated some, some whole treatise on, you know who he was. I mean, there's all there's there's documentaries. There's the internet. If you want to know all the the nitty gritty, and I would say that eighty percent of it is probably not to be believed. And maybe some of the stuff I have quoted here is even erroneous. So I loved it. I walked out of there like wanting to play Queen music. Mm-hmm. We blasted it in the truck. It was almost midnight. It was midnight, and I've been playing it in the house. The past couple of nights and in my earbuds, it just brought it all back for me. And then I'm so excited to be seeing like brand new fans coming to Queen and just loving them uh, for what they do and what they are. Mm -hmm. They're just they're they're more than just, you know, they're what? Ten known hits. And the next time you're at a ball game and you hear we will we will rock you, it's like. You know, it never ceases to amaze me. I'm like they're playing Queen at like the Dodgers games or any ballpark yeah, they I'm played, in. They
2: played several Queen songs over the World Series. Yeah, you know, just in promotion.
0: They were, and we were just like, oh, they don't normally play that one. They don't play that one. Um, but yeah, and there's just so many. Like I was telling you, my one of my favorite obscure Queen songs uh, is "All Dead, All Dead," written by Brian May there are four there are four songwriters in this uh group um and i think what i loved about the film was they acknowledged that as well people were like oh everybody wants you to know that roger and brian and john wrote songs well they did guys there was four yeah. that's why when freddie left to like i'm gonna go be my own bitch they were like well they all needed each other they all fed off of each other uh and they were able to to recapture that magic there's some just wonderful stuff. I love that John Deacon came up with the um, I Want to Break Free. He wrote that song, and then he wanted to do it in drag. He thought that would be hilarious, and then MTV banned it. And uh-huh. Freddie was so mad. He was like, we got banned, and you want, you're want? you the one with the drag idea. Uh, and again, please let that video, that full video, be on the extended cut. If we don't get live-aid and <laughs> I Want to Break Free... And then just, you know, Rami at the piano and the, or the, the four of them jamming without any, like, playback. Those are the three things I want to see. That's my wish list, guys, uh, on the extended cut. <laughs> if you're taking orders <laughs> from us. It's funny that you said there's no composer on this thing.
1: I mean, there, there might be, but I just can't find him. Because I don't want to leave anybody out. Everybody just did such a stellar job on this. Did you guys get the thank you from Rami right before the movie started as well?
2: Yeah, that played. Uh, yeah. yeah,
0: cool. Um, what I loved at ArcLight on what f- Saturday night, Friday night, opening night was that yeah Friday night that it was Guillim and Rami, Joe and Alan Leach walked out at the art like an uh, ArcLight in Hollywood before that that screening that prime screening and they gave a shout out and opened the film. I was like, those fans are probably peeing in their pants. Wow. They have worked their ass off to promote this film. And I got to tell you, I've seen a lot of press tours. I think we all have. And, um, these guys just came at it so enthusiastically and appreciate where they are in this moment. Rami's even said, he said, Christian Slater told him this when robot got renewed and they were shooting a pivotal scene and, Uh, Season one and and he said he looked over at Slater had this kind of curious look on his face and he said Rami enjoy this You don't always get your show renewed. You don't always There's no guarantee that anything Mm -hmm. is going to move forward or it's going to get any better than where you are Never take that for granted and he said, you know Getting this yes making this film i don't take that for granted, and I think it shows there's there's a humility here that I appreciate, and there's an enthusiasm that i we all feel it translates from and I think there are trials and testa- you know tribulations on that set from a pretender uh, to people who were there to do real stuff uh it showed it bonded them together when you go to kind of like to the mattresses to war over something so I've loved it. I still keep watching uh the interviews, I still keep uh, consuming. I've seen all of them. I think I've missed out on the last day because of Fallout 76. I've seen every single press interview ever with these things. so I can't stop watching them. I am a person who looks things up uh, on the internet. Very, very proud of that. Because I know (laughs) stuff. So I can do this podcast. Uh, Yeah, that's that's it for me. Are you going to watch? You said last night, my heart skipped a beat. You said, I want to listen to Queen and now I want to watch what?
1: Mr. Robot? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to make you no. an addict. Yeah, I, re- I really, now I really want to watch it. I mean, like, i wanted to watch it before, but now I'm like, mm, maybe now is, is a good time to watch it. I think it.
0: it's actually, you waited to the perfect time, actually.
1: You know, probably. I th- yeah, you probably yeah. waited
0: to the most perfect time because you have whole three seasons to gobble down mm. and you with you being so busy by the time you get through one, two and three, you'll be there just in time for them to have finished season four. So,
1: yeah, I mean, I have like Thanksgiving break in two weeks and then three weeks of winter break after that. So I'll, I can probably if I really hunker down, just knock them all out before the end of the year. Um, But yeah. I'm really excited to start that. I will share my prime code with you and you can go in and watch all the ones that I have. I, I have prime. I just don't know if they, if it's still on prime. Well, I, they've been, what I'm they've saying been is moving things to like purchase. What
0: I'm saying is I own them. Like I purchased all
1: of them. Oh, okay.
0: Simzon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't hear that at <laughs> Amazon. Uh, my brother, Andre is downloading these. We're traveling. So yeah, <laughs> if you, if you went into that, just, I can hook you up. I can hook you up. Hook, okay. a, hook a brother up. um, yeah, I can't stop thinking about it. I want to go back. You know, I, I bought the soundtrack, I, I, even though I have all these Queen songs. Um, and I bought the uh, the book with all the pictures by Brian May from set.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I have never, I haven't fanned out on something this hard in a long, long time.
2: Well, I mean, the Rami Malik movie uh... Buster Smell Heart. That yeah, and I mean all of his movies you pretty much delved into all of I
0: them. did. I like as soon as I like The Rami Malik
2: Film Festival. I
0: discovered him at the Pacific and I thought, oh this guy's really cool. I gotta remember this guy. He's awesome. And then Um I think I was watching Mr. Robot and it said Rami Malik and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa have I seen that name before. That seems so strange. And I go back and I'm like, is that fucking snafu? Ain't no snafu? Hell no. And then I go on the tumblers and they're like, that's Achman Ra. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? I didn't watch those Not at the Museum movies. And I went back and I'm like, that's Rami Malik as the Pharaoh? What the <laughs> fuck? And then I start watching, like, Believe and Over There and The War at Home because he plays this gay teen in The War at Home. Don't watch the entire series, just watch the compilation on YouTube. It's a horrible show, but he's awesome in it. And I've watched every single thing he's ever we done. We have watched
2: all of Gilmore Girls to, to look for him.
0: No, we didn't. That just happened. Oh, I was yeah. just watching it, and I was like, oh, Mr. Robot's in like Gilmore Girls. And then he pissed her off by saying something and then had to apologize to Amy Sherman Palladino. He goes, I didn't mean it. I was just kidding. Oh, my God. Please don't be mad at me. I'd like to work with you in the future. Uh, he, like, he got in trouble for slamming cats. He's allergic to cats. So they were asking, like, name Freddie Mercury's cats. He goes, I don't know. I hate cats. Uh. And then, like, all these cat lovers are like, Rami! Because they're so ready to, like, hang him on a cross. Like, a fan came up to him and said, hey, can you shoot, say hello to my friends? He goes, no, but I can take a video with you. And then they wanted to crucify him. So, look, these are the things that you have a problem with, Rami Malik then. He's doing all right.
1: Oh, wait. Was that the one where the fan asked him for a video and yeah. he was like, no, but I can take a photo?
0: Yeah. And it was already rolling when she held it up to his face. And he was like, that's mm. intrusive,
1: dude. Yeah. He doesn't owe you anything. <laughs>
0: he doesn't owe you shit. But he was like, but we can take a picture. He could have just said bitch and walked off. Yeah. He just said, look. And he t- later on, he was being called on and he goes, look, I, I don't think I was offensive at all. and I don't think you were either. You know? You know, she yeah. and she kind of. And she's not evil and shouldn't be they, I'm sorry they I'm not gonna say she goes by they pronoun I mean they go by they pronouns they were are not evil either, they are not evil no. uh for wanting that to happen.
1: they didn't know Now they just do. know just know the boundaries like that's that's literally it. I don't know, I kind of hate that people are like waiting for him to be problematic because I'm just like can we just appreciate things that aren't we waiting so a long many things time that are. Going to be waiting a long yeah. time. He's
0: a good dude. Uh, he grew up here. I just don't I don't see it happening. I mean, I know that everybody says that there's a PR relationship with him and Lucy. I don't care. Uh, you guys need to spend better time doing other things. And the dude lives up like, like, like he's in Venice just over the hill. If I ever left my house, we'll probably run into him walking the dog one day. We'll probably see him out. And I will literally ask him for nothing. I will say nothing. I will look at him and I will cross the street. I will not ask him for a selfie or any of that shit. I'm not looking down on people who do. I just don't. It's not my thing. I don't want your autograph. I don't want to pose with you. I just want you to stay over there, in that place, and whatever. Mm-hmm. Maybe Ian will work with him one day, and that'll be a great story. Hey, he was cool, or he was having diaper rash, or whatever was going on the set that day. <laughs> That's all I. I you don't know, really care about. As much as I seem like I would like drink his bath water. He's still a person. He's going to die one day. And I just love who and what he does, I like who he is and what he does. But I know that he's not made of gold. You know, he's a human being, but mm-hmm. no, he's probably one of the most unproblematic folks out there. But don't get me started on some old Tumblr fandom bullshit. <laughs> Cause yeah. Um, loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. We don't give stars on this thing. If we gave stars. It'd be five stars, ten stars. I'm gonna give it twenty thousand stars. Go see it. Fuck the critics. Go form your own opinions. Obviously, if you've listened to this podcast, you've already seen it because we're putting a big spoiler tag on here. Yeah. Uh, spoiler: Freddie Mercury dies. <laughs> <laughs> You don't have
1: that. Can you be spoilery about my opinion? <laughs> uh. <laughs> you know,
0: there are a lot of people who are, I saw actually somebody going, "What? Ha- he died?" I'm like, "Oh, come on, dude, come on!" Uh, awesome. I don't want to say goodbye to talking about Bohemian Rhapsody. I have looked forward to this film for a year and a half. I look forward to talking to you guys about it for days. I don't want to let go myself. So I think I'm going to go listen to Queen while we clean out our cupboards. We put this off to the end of the day. The Orkin man's coming tomorrow, so we got to um, please sponsor his Orkin. Uh, we're going to go and uh, <laughs> empty out our cupboards as much as we can because he needs to get in there and kill out these. We don't know how we got him. Uh, we're neat as a pen. I am practically OCD, clean freak, but we got roaches, and we can't get rid of them. So And I can't stand it. I just can't. I don't think anybody ever goes, oh, my God, roaches are cool. I'm just saying we don't know how they got in here and we just can't get rid of them now. So the dude's going to come and like napalm the house tomorrow. So we got to do all of this fucking work. And all I want to do is just go in the other room and like play Fallout 76 or drive to the theater and see Bohemian Rhapsody. So, yeah, first world problems. (laughs) Any other thoughts before we take off, guys? any recommendations anything you're into
1: uh i mean go see it again uh, <laughs> <laughs> if your friends have reservations i i have i had friends who um have like messaged me and they were like have you have you seen bohemian and i was like yeah i loved it and they're like okay well i just heard rumors about the whole like bisexual thing and blah 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 i'm like dude just go see it just go see it. They're just rumors. Just go see it. Right. Um, so if you have any friends like that, just assure them that everything is fine and this film is great. And I'm on board with the whole Oscars thing as well. But Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Also, if it doesn't happen, I, I couldn't give two shits. I've seen great performances get passed up so many times. so I don't. Really- I mean,
1: it's not, yeah, it's not going to le- legitimize my feeling about his performance, but it, it'll mean a lot in a number of ways if he, if he does win it. So.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think so, for sure. And oh, just a little note, I mean, maybe you guys know this, maybe you don't, um, because I look up things on the internet, is that Rami himself has said that, you know, when he got the script, one of the things he pushed for was to talk about the sexuality. Uh, mm-hmm. That was what made him so uh, irked. When um, Brian Fuller started this whole thing about head-washing uh, after the first trailer came out, he was, g- he was greatly vexed. Because he was like, I was pushing for them to talk about the sexuality. I didn't want us to skate over it. Obviously, I didn't want to be salacious or um, rude to Freddie. But he actually insisted that they not double down on it, but that they were very clear about it. And in a lot of press, he's been pushed to say, gay icon, gay icon. And he, he'll go, yeah, he's a gay icon. He's also a bisexual icon. Um, also, I should include that he never labeled himself and didn't think it mattered. So those are all sure. of the three things. Not anti-gay here, y'all. Look, I know some people are just gay, 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 gay. Uh, hey, hey, love y'all. Love y'all. Let me some pan, some trans, some bisexual.
1: I mean, if you don't know already that some bi people use gay and queer as an umbrella term, I just, I don't know what to say to you.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I don't, yeah. We're not
1: the only ones that do that, you know, so. But
0: I know there's a lot of vilification of bisexual, and, you know, maybe we'll, maybe we shall overcome. I don't know. I'm just not here to raise you. I was way too fucking old, didn't have kids, so I don't, I don't, I don't hate you, but I'm not going to raise you at this point.
1: (laughs) Um, Uh, I actually do have a recommendation. Oh,
0: yeah, go. Um.
1: Go vote on Tuesday.
0: Yeah. Oh, my God. What was I about to do? Vote. Yeah. We're going to bro- vote. We're going to vote. I would say, safe to say, we're going to vote fairly progressive. I know I that's a got, shocker.
1: <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad that I just got, well, I'm not glad about it, but I got a text from one of those automated texts from like, this is Ryan McAdams, Republican con- con- congressional candidate for Virginia's fourth district. I am asking you to vote for me, blah, 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 blah. I'm just going to text. No, thanks. Hard pass. Send. Um, but yeah, Go vote. Um he oh, like is he easy easy one of those people i I mean like I already sent him my ticket like i i I already did the uh, absentee ballot because okay. I'm in West Virginia and i 'm registered in Virginia, so I had to do it like a month ago already okay um but yeah, go vote
0: please vote. I mean you guys can decide you can be the deciders, you can be the, the you can be the deciders, as the beady ad monkey once said um don 't let old people decide your fate, you know also. Can we just talk to the boomers for a second and the Gen X and people who are doing this? Stop. Please please stop telling the youngs um, that they don't vote. Um, (laughs) Please stop telling them who they are or what they're fixing to do. Uh, Early polls are showing that they have turned up. Mm -hmm. Okay? Uh, The people who can't get to the polls are black people in Georgia because they keep pulling the bus over. So... Y'all need to calm the fuck down. I got a problem. You know, I'm having problems with like liberal boomers who are just like, they're just like, those kids are, blo-. I'm like, all right, what the fuck's wrong with you? They're, they're lit. Are you looking at it? 300 and f- up by 247% in Arizona, 318% in Colorado. The fuck? Get off of Facebook, y'all. First of all, get off of Facebook. <laughs> get off of Facebook. Literally. And um, I tell y'all to read a paper, but I don't. I don't think y'all are doing that. I think you're just spitting tobacco juice or drinking your kombucha or whatever the fuck, and just <laughs> deciding you're going to hate millennials. Calm the fuck! You're not helping. You're hitting us in the head. So don't. Please stop telling um, Z and millennials what they are about to do. They don't need you. To, you're the problem. That's why they don't. They haven't voted in the past is because you have your hand <laughs> up their butt crack. So, and then to millennials and Z, just ignore those old fuckers. I mean, not to tell you that. You already do. You just, you're polite enough. You watch them scream at like the Denny's because they don't get their table fast enough and go, all right, Becky. Um, but that's cool. I mean, pretty soon all those people will be dead. that will be fine. <laughs> I'm going to vote. Uh, Ian's going to be working that day. I, You know, I, I want to vote early, but here's the thing. I like walking down the hill. I live in a very super liberal Neighborhood. So I mean like I'm I am lucky as shit on so many levels I get to literally traipse down a hill and go in and vote with a bunch of old hippies who are like what's up man peace dude what, what's happening people who like who are still high from the shit they did like in the 70s they did some strong shit right <laughs> they think this whole thing is a flashback so <laughs> And then I'm taking your ballot in with me because you're on set on Tuesday. So, Any uh, last thoughts from you, Ian?
2: Uh, No. Vote. Watch uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. And Mr. Robot. And Mr. Robot. I concur with everyone else. (laughs) I
0: concur. All right, guys. Uh, Take care of yourself. And remember that bisexuality is actually a real thing. And I love you.
1: (laughs) Bye, guys. Bye. (laughs)